0: When we are doing the will of our true self, we are inevitably doing the will of the universe. In magic, these are seen as indistinguishable, that every human soul is in fact one human soul. It is the soul of the universe itself. And as long as you are doing the will
1: of the universe, then it is impossible to do anything wrong.
0: In this podcast, we will journey through the investigation and application of metaphysical means to enhance and inspire what I consider to be the great unifying purpose of our short human existence the creative process. And it's my intention to learn and reveal exercises that ex hex those inner oppressive thought patterns, as well as exorcising those lurking psychic vampires. So join me as I consort the unseen as means for getting the fuck out of creative stagnation. Stagnation that bewitches each and all of us, artists or not. So slither hither, weirdos and witches and cosmic snitches. Our guest today could be considered all three. He's a writer, a magician, a mason and a tarot diviner amongst many things. His name is Eric L. Arneson, and fans of Occult Podcasts Everywhere will know him to be the main host of the My Alchemical Bromance podcast. My fellow ordained reverend of the Universal Life Church just so happens to be my neighbor here in the narrows of the Southeast Industrial District of Portland. Well, our fates collided... And his wisdom is unshakable As it is sobering He knows his shit And boy does he take me to task On a couple of things I wouldn't have had it any other way Uh, For those of you listening Through podcast applications uh, The following is edited down for time Uh, But those of you who are listening Through our Patreon At patreon.com Slash we the hollowed you're listening to the full, unedited, hour 35 plus conversation. Haunt on.
1: The whole body of the United States. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's what the 33rd degree. Is. But 32nd degree... In America, it's super easy. You it, Once you're a master mason, you can go join a Scottish Rite group and you get your 32nd degree in a weekend.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. So it's kind of, I, I ask because it's personal to me. My grandfather was a mason. Yeah. Uh, I think my father was for a short time. He's kind of mum on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my grandfather uh, passed away before I could really crack... The code. The code. Instead, he would just tell me that he'd have to kill me if he talked about it. (laughs) Um, Which I wanted to bring up is I think I'm mired in a lot of the folklore, maybe of it. Yeah. Uh, Probably what the general populace uh, considers to be, you know, just a kind of clandestine, you know, secretive order or fraternity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, growing up, you hear all these like rules and rituals that. There are lots of rules and rituals, but some, you know, that would be, uh, let's say, hard feats. Mm. Uh, for,
1: well, I mean, okay, I'm gonna. There's a, there's a little bit of a bubble that should be popped about fraternal orders Good. in general, right? Yeah. So, like, first of all, the term "secret society" mm-hmm. um, today in the in in our culture, it has a much different meaning than it. Had even like fifty years ago, sixty right. years ago. I'd
0: probably say the JFK speech probably what turn that one on. We
1: well, talked about like
0: uh that there are clandestine organizations. I think he referred to them as secret societies that we needed to hmm. battle as Americans. Or
1: what? Yeah, I'm, I never heard about I'm this.
0: butchering the uh, <laughs> my s- summation of it. But yeah, I, I I think to me that seems to be the cornerstone of all conspiratorial thinking about fraternity?
1: Well, <coughs> organizations like... Masonry. I would say that it goes back a lot further. Than that. Okay. Um, and uh, we have evidence now that before... Free M- so Freemasonry became public in 1717. Mm-hmm. And um, before that, we've got pretty good evidence that Freemasonry probably was, uh, in a way, a secret society, probably serving more than one purpose. One purpose was probably political in that it was used as a support network for um, uh, Jacobites or like uh, people who were supporting the 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 sort of like Catholic or the, the crown mm-hmm. during the English Civil War um, because after the king lost well the king he like super lost you know yeah I mean? right. <laughs> um, but uh, but his supporters a lot of them ran away to France and uh, they probably used Freemasonry as or at least Freemasonry is around. Uh, it, they probably didn't need it as a secret meeting thing, since France kind of supported them. But that's probably part of it. Mm-hmm. And then another thing that happened is that Freemasonry was used as a kind of religious freedom secret society during that time in in England and in the British Isles, when you could get like executed for not being the right religion. Right, but this is a like. Like what the country was founded on,
0: people here, you know, it's freedom of religion, but it was mm-hmm. a lot of people uh, escaping that to go full throttle, more orthodox um, in a lot of ways, and well, different religions. So it's, I mean, because I we'll get to it later. Okay, yeah, but. I mean, it's
1: it's hard to it's like. It's like freedom of religion. Like even the meaning of that has changed a lot. Right. And back yeah, yeah. then, it was like freedom of religion meant that you could be Puritan or right. Quaker or Catholic or Anglican mm-hmm. or whatever, um, <clears throat> or even Jewish. You know, I mean, like the the idea was that you could just be a part of the church that you wanted to be a part of, and not one that was sanctioned by the state. Because every every country, every sure you know principality or whatever had its own religion. Um, and you could get, and you'd get punished like sometimes super severely, sometimes losing your life, sometimes exiled, you know, for being part of the wrong religion. And Freemasonry gave people an opportunity to sort of meet in secret with people, regardless of which one of these religions they were in and discuss things philosophically or theologically or whatever, and have like an actual meeting place where they weren't being persecuted. Um, but in the 18th century, uh, freedom of religion, or at least freedom to be whatever type of Christian you wanted to be, right. was something that became more uh, pronounced and you know legal in England. I don't have exact dates on when that right, happened, but yeah. that's one of the reasons that Freemasonry was prob- probably one of the inspirations for Freemasonry to become public at that time.
0: And is it a? It's mainly a baseline Christianity. Or well, it started Gnostic out
1: even. Uh. Well calling things gnostic is really tricky right you know we didn't
0: really have i meant like you know just a more of a you know the proto christianity because
1: it seems like it gets Uh, mm, i would say so it came out of um building guilds like actual stonemason guilds or freemason guilds that were operative that actually like built churches and castles and that sort of stuff and if you look into like the history of those they have like this really rich tapestry of like Legendary histories and um, passion plays and all this sort of stuff, like in the in the Middle Ages, you know, before the Renaissance um, and before before Protestantism started to sort of like stomp out like the cult of idols and the cult of like imagination and stuff, mm-hmm. um, all of these different trades guilds would be responsible for putting on like different passion plays and different you know th- theatrical arrangements. So the theater stuff is is old and it goes way back and it's sort of embedded in. Kind of like the, uh, the the sort of trade guild culture in Europe. but somehow in England and Scotland in the late 1500s and 1600s it transformed from this from from that into what Freemasonry is. okay um, But the secret society thing, like even as early as the 1700s you had uh, uh, like the Catholic Church claiming that Freemasonry, was evil because it promoted freedom of religion and democracy. Right. And, uh, and you know, did things like denied the divine right of kings and all that kind of stuff. Um, so the secret society thing actually probably goes way back and I would say starts with the Catholic Church. Okay. So, you know, a lot of uh, modern day conspiracy theorists do some really weird things like conflating Freemasonry and the Jesuits and that sort of right, stuff. Right, right. Whereas traditionally, they would be enemies. And in fact, to this day, uh, the Catholic Church doesn't, really have a very fond view of Freemasonry and doesn't really, and usually is is sort of like saying like, you know, our members can't be Masons. Mm -hmm. So there are no Jesuit Freemasons. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that makes perfect sense considering
0: that the Jesuits are like the Gestapo of the Catholic
1: Church. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Uh, Yeah. Not not comparing the two in any other way than just being very militant.
1: I should go back. Uh, The third... Uh, a pendant body that I wanted to mention earlier is mm-hmm. the Shriners, right? Uh, the fezzes, yeah, with the yeah. fezzes. Uh, and I'm not a Shriner, so I can't really talk a whole lot about them. But they—is um, there a lot of cross? Um... Every Shriner is a third degree Freemason. Oh, okay. Least. I did not know that. Yeah, you yeah. have to be a—you have to be a third degree. You have to be a master mason to join the shrine. I see. Okay. And um, they uh, again, like I said, I'm not a—I'm not a Shriner, so I can't speak like really definitively about them. But um, from what I've seen, they don't have a lot of like esoteric mystical content. Right. But what they are is sort of a social club that also supports like these massive, massive charities. Uh, probably the the biggest one being like the children's hospitals that they run.
0: So that's that's what my understanding of modern Masonry was was that it was just a charitable, organi- like fraternity. Of, yeah. Uh, yeah. But you, with your background and. Magic specifically mm-hmm. like what what led you to masonry did the magic lead you there or did did um the, it's like hermeticism abermelon <laughs> you can't like, just throw
1: words around <laughs> no, I mean like it sounds
0: like it's all um, like cooking in there
1: y- yeah, I mean abermelon is a is a really really specific ritual, and uh-huh. um there's no I haven't seen any evidence of the abermelon ritual in freemasonry okay, uh, so that's that's definitely not connected um but I uh, I was kind of drawn to Freemasonry for probably two reasons. First of all, I had a desire to be like sort of um, part of my community a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I would suspect, you know, you know, now looking back, I would say that there was probably some part of me that was desiring like the initiatic experience, like the mark of like transforming from boy to man. Right. You know? um, and then the other thing was I was studying magic at the time that was mm-hmm. that was kind of right around the time when I uh, was getting really serious and I and in my studies I was sort of like, oh I think that the initiatic experience is important. I should go get initiated And uh, my explorations were leading me to things like the uh, the OTO mm-hmm. uh, it, where I was there't there weren't a lot of options. I was down in Southern Oregon and so I decided to become a, I decided to petition the ashland lodge in in ashland oregon and got um initiated because of that and i I would say that you know my i didn't see a big connection between um magic and freemasonry at first okay that that took that took some study and some exploration and sort of like you know i mean freemasonry so yeah, so like getting back to like the secret society thing, like mm-hmm. our concept of secret societies now is, is super broken. Like we right. we, sh- we see them as these like dark shadowy Nefarious, organizations, yeah. yeah. But if you go back to the early 1900s, uh, you know, even even up through probably like the 1940s or 1950s, you'll see the term secret society used for every fraternal organization. Right. So they'd be con- so you would consider like the Elks and the Eagles mm-hmm. and the Moose secret societies. You. Mm-hmm probably consider like Rotary a secret society. Secret society was kind of synonymous with fraternal order or sure, with, yeah. with the fraternal organization. <clears throat> and the other thing that 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 we seem to forget a lot when we're getting way into like how, you know, how far the rabbit hole goes and how deep the conspiracy is, is how common it was for people to be members of these organizations. Right, right. Um, so around 1900, the largest secret society in the United States was the Oddfellows. And they had uh, probably half as many members as the Masons did. Um, the Masons came second, but then, like, it, it was something like 40% of adult Americans were members of at least one secret society. I figured Everybody. it was also just a symptom of class, too. Or it like wasn't, a... really, because no? Freemasonry is cross-class. Okay. So, um, at least in the United States, it is. So, in, in the United States, like, um, your typical Masonic Lodge now is not going, it, it'll have almost no people of, um, upper middle class or higher. It's going to be mostly working class people. Okay. Uh, and a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of these fraternal orders were that way. But you have to remember that there was no easy um, entertainment, right? So entertainment was almost always uh, hanging out with people in your town or in your neighborhood or in your city. You know, there was, mm-hmm. this was before television. Um, and so fraternal orders, the secret societies, would host you know dances and and banquets right. and feasts and and public orations and lectures and. You know that was sort of they were the social hub.
0: When you were talking about the passion plays, I can see that kind of being the genesis of mm-hmm. like the theatricality of the ceremony and the oh yeah and the ritual and yeah. For and, sure. is, and is that more um, these days? Is that more mired in like aestheticism, or is that? Um, I don't know. What do you mean by like? Is it more uh, like a traditional? Oh is it does it have less to do with kind of the metaphysical
1: means of it really really depends on the lodge and the yeah. group of the group of people you're working with so that's the other thing yeah. is every lodge yeah. is is its own thing, mm-hmm. so um, different lodges have different focuses, so some lodges are very very focused on community service oh. and they're they basically are doing things like uh, you know soup kitchens or charities or supporting public schools or things like that. Um, other lodges will be focused on you know sort of like research and history so for instance in portland we have the uh, what do they call it oregon lodge of research uh that's not the name what is it called research lodge number no i don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> anyhow it's the oregon lodge of research it's number okay. 198 you can look it up on the internet and see um and the, uh but then you, and then you've got lodges like mine esoterica 227 which is focused more on like the philosophical and esoteric parts of Freemasonry. Right. So, so lodges tend to be really different And even, you know, across the United States, you know, if you go to, you know, there, so like every, um, every state has its own, um, its own grand lodges so okay. they're all each state usually has one or two grand lodges and they're totally sovereign they aren't really beholden to anybody else i was going to um, ask is there like an overarching um there is there is for scottish right okay. but there is not for blue lodge masonry so blue lodge masonry like every state does its own thing mm-hmm. um there are many many different branches um so you know for instance like uh uh, and there are also many different rituals. So, like Oregon has a different ritual than Washington, or and different ritual than California. Like you right. know, you they're 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 similar, but they're not the same.
0: Now, is that due just to you know the growth of those different cultures,
1: like um, where they're located? Kind
0: like, of, because it's so they're like meandering away from the,
1: yeah uh, so i mean if you go back far enough uh, no two lodges had the same ritual okay so they might have had like passwords and handshakes that they were the same like mm-hmm. so the, the methods of recognition so that one mason can prove that he's a mason to another lodge might have been the same but aside from that their rituals would have been particular to each lodge with okay. with similarities but mostly very particular to each lodge Um, Yeah, I suppose I always assumed that there was like this over like a a guide, you know, like an overarching. Mm -mm. No, because it was all oral tradition. It was all oral tradition until the 1800s. So in the 1800s, we started writing ritual down. There's a there's a pretty good book that sort of uh, explores like the history of Masonic ritual. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were a couple of really big pushes in the 1800s to standardize Masonic ritual in the United States. So, for instance, if you. Uh, if you're intimately familiar with like the Oregon ritual and you go to Washington, it'll be very familiar, even though you don't necessarily know every single word. It'll be okay. You'll you'll still like. There's recognize still it. coded language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely coded all. language and mm-hmm. there's definitely like phraseology and you know various like archaic terms and things that get used over and over or stuff like that. And this is like yeah transcontinental. Yes. Nope. No. No, no. It, t- it totally, it's different in every I mean, country. I mean,
0: the coded language. Like um, no,
1: even that. Like, okay. there might be some phrases or names or cool. words or things like that that are the same. But, um, but no, it, it varies a lot. Like, you know, you, yeah. you know, the, uh, in... In American Freemasonry, in the United States, in the, United States uh, the the Blue Lodge degrees all center on what we call the Hiramic legend, which is the legend of the building of King Solomon's Temple mm-hmm. and the architect that built it and all that kind of stuff. Um, and in other countries, you might not have that at all. To me, that seems like a good basis
0: for the magical aspects is the Solomonic...
1: Y- yeah, that's something that I, that I have only just really started thinking about a whole lot, but... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if you want to segue into magic a little bit you know so i've been yeah absolutely. i've been uh recently sort of like researching and working with the greek magical papyri mm-hmm. which is probably like the oldest collection of magical texts that we have in the western world i think i heard your interview someone they just translated it or... um it's been translated for a while but it's the sort of thing where we didn't we weren't really paying a whole lot of attention to it much and now a lot of um you know, magicians and occultists are starting to pay attention to the to the Greek magical papyri, but you know, I mean, like the the Bornless Rite, which is one of which is a uh, Liber one of uh, Aleister Crowley's famous works, is based on um, a translation of the Greek magical papyri mm-hmm. or a fragment of it from like the eighteen fifties. So these fragments have been around, right. but they have never, you know, they've they've only recently really been like collected and cataloged. And you know, like Stephen Skinner, who's a pretty well-known occult author yeah the enochian
0: uh
1: yeah yeah you might have dr
0: skinner he's he's like a big oh yeah magic he's
1: done a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. but he's but he basically cataloged all of the greek magical papyri and made this great book where you can sort of like look up what's going on um but one of the things that he points out is it's really interesting in the greek magical papyri a lot of times the the practitioner when he's doing a work will be like you know, I am Apollonius of Tiana, listen to me, or I am Moses and I did this and this and this, listen to me, where he like fakes, you know, the practitioner lies about who he is, or is, like taking on the, the role or the guise of some historically important figure.
0: Okay.
1: Um, and the thing, so one of the reasons that's really interesting to me in terms of Masonry is in, in Freemasonry, as you progress through the chairs, when you become the master of a Masonic lodge, you're basically taking the role of King Solomon.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and, oops, I just kicked the microphone. That's all good. Um, but to me, that was, that was interesting. That, that's really interesting because of the role of King Solomon in Solomonic magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I personally don't do a whole lot of Solomonic magic, but I've encouraged other masons that I know who are doing Solomonic magic to explore that. I haven't heard back from anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, They've all mysteriously vanished.
0: Right. Yeah. The... Uh... These demons learn their names. (laughs) And, I mean, is that kind of a basis of it, is trying to Uh, guise yourself
1: from the spirits? Yeah, you know, I've heard a lot of people speculating, and I don't think anybody really knows for sure. Sure, Um, I think one of it is, you know, uh, the Greek magical papyri doesn't treat um, spirits and gods and demons and stuff the same way that, like, later grimoires do. And a lot of times it's sort of, you get the impression that, not only are the spirits sort of treated like idiots, but they're sort of treated as like lesser beings to be bossed around. And mm-hmm. I think the thing is, like, uh, one of the speculations I've heard is that spirits can't tell us apart. We all look the same. Human Humans, you know, we're just... I see. We, we all look the same. To them. Right. So they can't tell if you're Apollonius or Solomon or Moses or right. Keats. I love this metaphysical caste system. Yeah. They have, <laughs> like, we should be on the other side
0: of the street. <laughs> yeah, <barely. laughs> um, I wanted to get it. Well, I think what I conflated uh, the uh abram abramel. Am I saying that right? The abramel. You know abramelit abramel Abr, abramelin. Abr, yeah, abramelit. That sounds go. good to me. Yeah. I said it right the first time. I, I think I was just thinking about it too hard, which happens all the time with working with magic. I've found. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, what I conflated that was there that ritual needing to be done when you're 40 years old, right? Is that what it says? I, I'm I'm pretty sure. I I might be talking out of my ass, but I'm pretty sure that, or I'm confusing that with the another thing. Well, there, but there was some like
1: age, like only when you're 40. Oh and you, you might be thinking now... of um there is a late tradition in Kabbalah, in Jewish mm-hmm. Kabbalah, that you shouldn't start studying Kabbalah until you're over forty years old. Right. And that th- could be part of it. I
0: I yeah, I thought it was something else too, but this is this is the common thread that I see. Yeah, I, especially honestly... as you know, someone uh on the early side of thirty mm-hmm. that's really digging deep into this, there is this kind of um I don't know, uh reward almost about you getting know, old well just getting to a point like finding that you know degree of which now i can i know myself and 40 seems to be yeah throughout a lot of you know devotions to be the age where like okay you can become a mag- magician now yeah.
1: yeah i mean i started um you know i mean my first introduction to to magic was when i was a kid mm-hmm. but um yeah. I'm not sure. I, you know, my understanding, like in Kabbalah, where they've got the 40 year old mm-hmm. uh, requirement. My understanding is that sort of came about pretty late, and primarily because of the rash of um, fake prophets, the, right. the people claiming to be the Messiah that happened, um, such as uh, Yochanan yeah, Frank, thirty three, and in primarily Sabbatai Savi, who um, who was a Total freak show. Uh, Go on. My apologies if there are any <laughs> Sabatans out in the audience. I, I don't mean to insult your religion. Oh, but... I
0: don't think there's anybody in the audience yet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Podcasts last yeah. forever, you know. I know. Right? Um, but uh, Sabatai Tsevi, I'm not going to be able to remember his whole story really accurately, but he um, he rose to prominence, I think, when he was in his 20s or maybe 30s. He claimed to be the Messiah. He got this huge following he got uh he got like a bunch of his followers to he ended up like apostasizing. So he converted, I think, from Judaism to Christianity, and then like from Christianity to Islam. And then like the whole time he was always he'd always be telling his followers, like, I'm I'm just faking it. I'm really, you know, I'm I'm Jewish at home. <laughs> um but he was such a mess and he made such a bad name for Kabbalah and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. That I think that it was after that that they really started being like you should be older before we teach you this weird shit. Not to mention just the
0: discrepancy in those devotions, mm-hmm. having no, to no,
1: yeah. play back and forth. I was raised
0: Catholic I think he'd... for the first half of my childhood and then Jewish for the second half. And oh, yeah. Even just that, you know, yeah. um, it, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't too major but i can imagine it being maddening if you're trying to be the messiah of either at any time
1: yeah i think he also <laughs> was uh i think a lot of times it was sort of like under pain of death or imprisonment or something where he'd get like captured by right if i remember correctly his um, his islamic stint was somewhere in the middle east where he uh he got like in bad trouble with like a local islamic king who was like you convert and you make your followers convert as you do or we're just gonna kill y'all because mm-hmm. you guys are jerks
0: because <laughs> homie don't got time for that yeah <laughs> but yeah i you know and I, I think when embarking on this you know i'm always trying to rectify my chaos magic upbringing i feel yeah once you start getting serious there's a lot of bad habits there are um, um, as as a chaos magician naturally though it was I, I'm absolutely grateful for it especially in regards to art and kind of oh absolutely computing I think that in the artistic sense but like yeah these uh, there's just incessant need or like subconscious need to just burn everything down and make
1: it my own you know it's is <laughs> gonna be a it's gonna be a tough road. Hey, have 40. you thought of uh, declaring yourself the Messiah? Maybe getting your followers to. <laughs> so you don't listen to the podcast.
0: <laughs> I listen to an episode. I'm just going to <laughs> start off every episode. This is the Messiah. That's uh, got to be a cooler slogan than "This is the Messiah." Uh, you, I think it was you that told me once uh, when we first met. Uh-huh. Uh huh. By the way. Uh, Fancy that. We both ended up living in the same neighborhood. Um, I think you... How did we... We got together. You I found had you on Montana Jordan on your podcast. No, it was before that. I found you on the internet somehow. Right. I think it's because you were ha- going to have Montana Jordan on. So yeah, you...
1: and I was looking up Montana Jordan yeah, appearances yeah. To,
0: to see. Yeah, and... Uh, but uh, when we first met, we met at our our local local watering hole hole. yeah that's a nice (laughs) nice way to say it but uh we you told me once because i i've been struggling a lot too i mean just as an artist and um you know let alone uh someone with any kind of uh metaphysical you know curiosity Mm -hmm. on how to apply certain things to kind of sustain uh financially or otherwise you know oh yeah and uh a lot of it comes from just my just sheer disinterest and self-promotion or marketing After. and uh, I mean, I, no, that I totally I had. Had. and then we were talking and you brought up a good point. And this was completely um, solidified by my other good friend, Jimbo Kennedy, who had been on the podcast too, who's also kind of in the same game that mm-hmm. modern magicians are marketers. Or like, yeah,
1: or, yeah, um, or some form of you know, kind of because we create images, we right. manipulate using images, like it's it's that the same flipped me on my head, then yeah. it became
0: a game to me again, it, or not a game, but it be, it became a serious uh you know avenue,
1: yeah, so it's sort of like you know, I mean, you were talking about using chaos magic for art,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and if you're using chaos magic for art and creating uh you know, like a a sigil in a painting or a Mm -hmm. sigil in a work uh, just to affect you, that's one thing. But if you're using it to affect the audience or whoever's viewing it, that's something else. I mean, yeah, that's marketing is basically chaos magic on an audience. It's creating sigils and symbols. You are guiding others. will. You are, you are manipulating the wills and minds of other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is something that, yeah, I mean, this is an idea that I, I'm not going to claim this for my own. This is no, an idea. no, I totally no, absolutely. Because I mean,
0: when, once you get down to the nitty gritty, it's like, oh, these motherfuckers have known this forever.
1: Oh yeah, it's <laughs> and and, and it, you can look and it's it's fairly obvious. Yeah, you know, um, uh, I got it from uh, Juan Culiano, who's mm-hmm. a, a Romanian historian. I, I didn't get it from him personally. I got it from one of his books. Mm-hmm. But um, he's basically, you know, he he his whole thesis in this book was about sort of the death of the imagination in in European culture and how um, we've sort of taken the ability to imagine or the ability to use our our inner vision to like create and and manipulate and affect our environment. and we have pushed it off into, Sort of the the nether realms of our psyche, mm-hmm. so we we sort of like diminutize and infantilize infantize one of those is probably a word infantilize yeah, yeah but whatever we do we we take the imagination and we turn it into a child's toy so we're like oh yeah that's just happening in their imagination right or, or that's just pretend, um, and then we turn around and use that same power that same imaginal power, to do things like propaganda and oh yeah. You know, n- national symbolism and the patriotism. Kardashians. Uh, the Kardashians. The Kardashians. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, yeah, like, how did the Kardashians end up being? I don't. Not know. only like to me, that's weird. Black famous, magic, you know? Yeah, it's they're like... they're weird famous plastic people, but they're also bad guys in Deep Space Nine. I mean, they're they're. <laughs> I, I, it's
0: just incredible to me. This, I mean, we were talking about YouTube earlier, and it's like, mm-hmm. it's. I don't know what the machine is or what. Uh, for lack of a better term, and forgive the pun, but the trick, like. Yeah. is that people are mining and mining and mining and it's working and working and
1: working. You so know? part of it is that, that using magic to interfere with the will of another person mm-hmm. or to, to is, me, that's is black uh, magic. No, no. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's, that's not something that you one. Do. Yeah. And a lot of times you're sort of told like, don't do this. Like don't, don't practice magic. That's going to affect another person without their consent. Right. So right. advertising and stuff like that is, is kind of not good <laughs> magic. Um, Just essentially, yeah. But it's also something that you can't help but do, Mm -hmm. right? So, right.
0: I mean, like I said, yeah. Just as an artist, I mean, this just finished. This my record came out today, and now I'm in the process of, you know, figuring out the the different facets of, you know, when to post an Instagram about it or what. You know what I mean? Like all these weird little, yeah, uh, machinations one must go to
1: help sell something. And honestly, like know? if you are doing like free social media stuff, then mm-hmm. the answer is you post all the time and you basically right. whore yourself out. Right. And yeah. you basically are like, hey, you, you've got, you know, ten thousand followers. I'll give you my music for free if you post about it or something right, like that. Right, you know, you yeah. just have to And there are there's some like, you know, good guy mechanisms
0: that yeah it's it does seem a bit like a, a digital trade and barter when it gets mm-hmm. to a certain point. But like they're just so there's so much availability to, you know, just jump over any of that to yeah. kind of you know cut cut that kind of a commendable corner and go straight for the buying followers buying blah 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 yeah I mean? don't buy followers no, because that's, that won't help right because you still need but to, to have me, it's like it's obvious when they do yeah and like oh, yeah. it's it's just it bewilders me that you know the common sense wouldn't you know uh wouldn't pick up on that
1: wouldn't feel like a, i wonder a... if they do yeah i mean the th- it, it really yeah i mean that's a really good question like mm-hmm. i don't know it depends on you know what your aim is i mean i don't know if you're trying to be madonna or if you're no. trying to be coil Ooh, yeah. uh no not even that yeah <laughs> just trying to sustain
0: to ah! keep on making these things you know I mean, that's kind of the whole point to me. I mean, that's something that I resigned yeah. or resolved, I should say, like a long time ago, was that I, to have the freedom to do multiple artistic things is far more important to me than to drown in, in one. Right. And, you know what I mean? And yeah. to me, that already was saying, you're not going to make a living doing this.
1: <laughs> I, you know, I Or just this that, one thing. You know? Yeah. And I mean, you know, I mean, art, you mm-hmm. know, making a living doing art, you... I feel like a lot of times from from what I've seen, you either, you know, get lucky mm-hmm. and make stuff that people are eager to consume or you have a combination of stuff where you uh, you do the stuff that you love, but you also have right. some sort of commercial part of your art that might even be making like stuff that isn't yours or... Right. You're know, doing like graphic design or studio musician work or something like that. Exactly. Like that doesn't yeah. really demean no, you not as an artist. It still takes the skill that you've learned and puts it to use. But you're also, you know, not
0: utilizing those things for your personal work so you much. You got to do both. Yeah. yeah, you have
1: to do. And that's a struggle, you know. I mean, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a professional writer. I know, yeah. And finding time and energy to work in my personal writing mm-hmm. is tough. You know, like I've never finished a book right yeah god certainly started plenty of. oh me too
0: yeah (laughs) i mean i am like just doing the word counts a day to the point where like i'm just breaking in finally through that brain barrier where i'm now just completely too exhausted and everything's coming (laughs) Uh, yeah
1: i i mean i definitely don't meet any sort of word count right uh, goal every day but i i do a thing where where I'm like, I'm going to... I'm shaking all the mics. Sorry. I kicked mine earlier. I know. So that's cool.
0: It's ghetto. <laughs> Sorry about that.
1: But yeah. So You have mic stands. I don't have mic stands on my podcast. <laughs> if you could call them that, you know, I guess they're mic stands. This is totally... Yeah, this is the mic stand. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, so my... Uh, the way I get myself to write every day is I have a, a rule that I write not zero. Not zero things. Right. So, but I mean, that's like... It's like harm reduction. almost.
0: You know? Oh, Yeah. It's like, just, just do anything. Yeah.
1: This here Prague Magic Podcast was brought to you by Portland, Oregon's open source art religion and Prague Magic Art Collective, We the Hallowed. For more information, please visit wethehallowed.org or support these fine, pious individuals at patreon.com slash we the hallowed. Remember, that's hallowed like saintly. H-A-L-L-O-W-E-D. Thank you, and haunt on. Um,
0: But yeah, so we were talking about... Daily rituals that you implement
1: that have helped you out right. over so, the years. And so, you were
0: talking about the LBRP.
1: Oh, yeah. So I don't I do not do the the LBRP uh, daily mm-hmm. now. Uh, in fact, I don't use it a whole lot. Um,
0: but you do still implement
1: it? Well, yeah. I mean, I've got my my own version that I sort of right. uh, crafted over the years. that's based on it um, mm-hmm. that I do use uh, with ritual. But for daily stuff, mostly meditation. I found meditation right. is probably the the most useful i mean it's useful not only just from a magical standpoint but just like for a person Mm -hmm. you know just to maintain mental health
0: yeah i mean uh that's that's been the complete baseline every time i've i've discussed this a daily practice is something something as simple as that yeah i talked to anthony alvarado on his uh radio show the magic hour uh, he kind of asked me a similar thing, but in more in the vein like, "How do people get started in this?" And it's like, it doesn't matter if it's how does someone start to embark on a metaphysical path,
1: or if it's how do I just feel better? It's meditation. You can't even. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like if you don't have a meditation practice right. or some sort of skill in meditation, you can't do. You, yeah, you're not going to do magic.
0: Do you ever um, like do? So another thing that scares me about a lot of uh, modern magic. I see it being utilized a lot in desperation. You know, um, and I feel, I feel that like that's not be...
1: just modern, right? I think that a lot of it is desperation. It is sort desperate, of, okay. and yeah, totally. Um, you know, because you know one of the things you learn is that you know there's always like that sort of path of least resistance. You know, mm-hmm. if you if you need five hundred bucks, you're going to have an easier time, you know, selling something to get five hundred bucks than you are. You know, yeah. summoning five hundred dollars from the ether or whatever. <laughs> right. So, so yeah, I mean, I think from a lot a of Braxis, times, yeah. yeah, it does, uh, it does sort of come from desperation, okay. because you know, otherwise, if you don't need five hundred bucks, why, why would you even feel like oh, I'm going to do a, yeah. a, a ritual to get five hundred dollars?
0: But to me, that that that's a lot of uh, you know, conforming your subconscious to make sure that that happens rather than like the full process of communing with something yeah like uh and maybe desperation is not the right word i just i feel like it gets in i just i notice a lot instead of like preemptively or like um how do i put it like uh, like disciplining Mm -hmm. um yourself where if you were you know practicing these things daily that that would more than help you know instead of you know when when it hits when shit hits the fan and then you go, mm-hmm. you know consult the lesser key of solomon and, and
1: um i suspect know. i would say that probably both are important you know now,
0: do you find that there's like a that would be a, a, a there would be a negative connotation to that
1: no i no. don't think so i think um you know one of the problems is you, you know you magic might not work right so right. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, and uh you know, you, you the, the the thing is like you can't just sort of like, if you want, you know, if we you know, we're going to go back to the five hundred dollar example, like if mm-hmm. you want five hundred dollars, you don't just like make some ritual to get five hundred dollars and then just sit back and wait. Right, and then, then get bummed gotta, when it doesn't
0: happen. Yeah, yeah. you
1: still got to work. You know, there's mm-hmm. the the it's it's not like you know magic helps those who help themselves. I right, this is probably a better way to.
0: Put it and I guess in a way, and I've heard this a lot too from friends, uh, in in you know, these uh, in the in the practice and doing the great work, I'll say mm-hmm. that, uh, kind of think that that helps weed out the uh, <laughs> the the lesser, yeah, uh, interested parties.
1: It's almost like, oh, yeah, no, let them. Mm-hmm. Let them think that that's what it's for only or, yeah. you know. I mean, so so like broadly, you can break magic into two categories. You know, you've got theurgy and thaumaturgy. Right. Where, where theurgy is the, the side of magic that's interested in self-development and connection with like a divine source and like, you know, purification of the soul mm-hmm. or repairing of the world or that sort of thing. And thaumaturgy is more you know, doing um, like practical magic or talismans or things that, that are meant to, you know, directly help you in the physical world. Mm-hmm. So so a magician usually, or a magician probably should be somewhat practiced in both of those, mm-hmm. but, um, it, you know, it, it depends on the practitioner. You know, some right. practitioners are going to be more focused on one than the other. Uh, I personally am more on the theurgic side of things, so I don't right. do a lot of, like the practical sort of stuff, but I do from time to time. Um, And sometimes it's, you know, out of desperation. Sometimes it's more out of just needing to keep in practice. Covering your bases. Yeah. And sometimes it'll be, you know, based on whatever system I'm working on. Um, Like currently I'm doing a lot of uh, uh, what they call probably like astrological magic or image and image magic that's based on... um, uh, like the picket and mm-hmm. and stuff like that, and with that sort of system, a lot of ritual has to be appropriately timed, and right, it's and, very calculated. Yeah, and so yeah. sometimes I will notice a particular good time for something coming up, and I'll be like, "Oh, I should craft a ritual based on that." Mm-hmm. So that's definitely something you're, that you're I've done.
0: Finding and, a uh, an equation.
1: Yeah, yeah yeah absolutely and even then sometimes you can do it for thaumaturgical reasons so for instance um during the so venus was exalted earlier this year um
0: we just saw her too right she was, oh yeah she, she's
1: she's she's up, still there yeah. she's up right now mm-hmm. um but uh that every planet has a particular spot in the sky where it's considered exalted which is probably like its second most powerful position in the sky and so when i noticed that was coming up i was like oh i should make you know, and so I, I checked the charts and all that kind of stuff, And I, so I crafted a ritual around Venus mm-hmm. um not because not out of any sort of desperation but just sort of like a offering or yeah, kind of an offering um, I'm on your side, don't hurt me, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sort of thing totally um so so yeah, I mean, like it it really yeah. depends like sometimes you do it out of desperation and sometimes you don't, you know, I've done right I've done you know I've done chaos magic stuff that has just been intended to be like you know to, to help things along. And I've mm-hmm. done, you know, rituals that have been to create talismans that all they do is get me closer in touch with certain influences or, mm-hmm. or elements in the universe or whatever. And it, it really, it really just kind of depends. I, I don't think that desperation necessarily negates it, but I think a lot of times you still, you know, I mean, it, it's good to be ready. Right. It's, it's like, anything you you don't just pick up a guitar and play it right you gotta you gotta do your chords yeah your scales well chaos magic <laughs> punk rock um yeah but maybe you're just maybe you're just a garage rock yeah uh, guitar I, um, enthusiast
0: well i mean i you're playing somewhat of a devil's advocate but I, I was just telling you outside about my eclipse ritual which mm-hmm. was in desperation it was probably the biggest thing i've ever done
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh man did it work um yeah uh, but that i always kind of felt a gnawing of a little bit of guilt like maybe i'm taking advantage of of the systems uh because of the intent or i'm obviously overthinking it all the time <laughs> uh, um, because the, it, it, the intentions were good it yeah. was you know there is this like um this weird appeasement I have to feel for you know the unknown forces and it's 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 not a a scare or a paranoia it's more of like I just want to make sure I'm being respectful because you never know what you know
1: all right well there is something that that you can do about that yeah Um, there's a couple things so first of all um, you can do divination Mm -hmm. before you do your ritual to check it you know is this a good idea should I be doing this that sort of thing and you can use like Pendulum. tarot cards or yeah. pendulums or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing to do is to make sure that you um, make offerings or, you know, supplications to deity or yep. something of that nature. That's why so much uh, magic involves prayer. Offerings and prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Gratitude to me is the cornerstone.
0: Yeah. And I yeah. think
1: gratitude, you know, so uh, yeah, gratitude is very important. And I guess uh, typically when I craft a ritual, it will include, offerings or or supplications of some sort just you know because you, you you don't want to you don't want to be a bull in a china shop no yeah.
0: yeah and you also like i said you just don't want to uh disrespect things that you are obviously giving credence to the possibility of being yeah you know <laughs> <laughs> it's not just you know oh it's cool i'm just conforming my subconscious uh help me figure things out it's like well no come on you're doing this because there's a big possibility that there's some outside forces that are probably yeah you
1: know yeah hopefully on your side hopefully yeah
0: <laughs> i mean yeah. yeah um but yeah i just i it, that brings me to another point of uh through a magical path um have you Implemented anything that has, like, a, before you embark on anything major, mm-hmm. is there a certain devotion or ritual um, that you s- are gravitated to personally, not just that you think um, all should or
1: sure? Maybe both. So for me, um, like, something that I almost always do, uh, like, I, I use prayer. A lot mm-hmm. and you know prayer is a is a form of magic oh um, yeah we we really like to differentiate them in in our post pagan world you mm-hmm. know so you know prayer is sort of associated with like oh this is good and godly and blah 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 blah, blah. but right. but almost any old ritual you look at in, involves prayer you know yeah. prayer is is present and an intimate part of magic so i use prayer a lot mm-hmm. um and even even when i'm meditating i typically open with a prayer and i use the uh, the prayer that's found at the end of the first book of the Corpus Hermeticum. Um, I've got a link on my blog. We can put mm-hmm. in the show notes if you okay, want to. awesome, but, yeah. Please. But, uh, but I use that. Um, a lot of times I'll even use that prayer as sort of, uh, I don't know exactly what this practice is called. I heard once that it was called, it was similar to the centering prayer that's uh, popular in certain uh, forms of Christianity, but it's basically just a receptive way of like sitting reciting the prayer and kind of relaxing into it, you Mm -hmm. know, that, that tends to be helpful. Um, I also use, uh, I also use some uh, Kabbalistic stuff that, that is uh, pretty uh, useful. Probably the best for anybody who's just starting out would be the middle pillar ritual, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, taught in a lot of golden dawn systems. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that's a very powerful one. Mm -hmm. Um, then in addition to that, uh, I use, uh, especially when I'm doing like spirit work or work that requires like a magic circle or something like that, mm-hmm. I use the um, beginning part of the 231 gates from the Sefer Yetzira, which is not easy and takes a lot of practice. But once you, you know, have gone through all of the steps and learned how to do that particular um, ritual, it's... Uh, it's I found it to be extremely efficacious. Yeah. Deeply meditative. Deeply meditative. Yeah. 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 Uh speaking of circles,
0: um, I wanted to touch base about uh you know, magical communities and how mm-hmm. one, you know, might break the barrier of, you know. I mean for yeah. podcasts like this, it's it's obviously not. It's it's obviously kind of in vogue these days, so it's not. It's not. It's been in vogue for a long time, but finding and deciding the right, the right one community, because like within the Masons, you guys all have your own separate. Yeah, you bring a lot of different things together. You do, which is great, and it's not. You're not subscribing to one, or conforming to one, ideology. Right. So aside from masons like what would another kind of organization yeah. be easy to find aside from
1: you know well online forums and the easiest uh organization to find if you is probably the oto mm-hmm. um and they're not strictly a magical organization but you're going to find a lot of uh magical oriented or occult oriented people oh i thought OTO. they were strictly no, they're gotcha. a fraternal order. They're oh. they're a fraternal order, but they also are attached to like a you know a very esoteric religious order. Uh, right. They have a magical order called the AA that's associated with them. Yep. The Astral uh S. I've heard that the, the uh, Astro Argentum mm-hmm. I think is like the 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 name that is thrown around a lot, the but Silver I've heard Star that that's not no. real. Oh, that, is that another Crowley uh middle finger <laughs> yeah maybe yeah well because uh in the it's amazing how many middle, middle fingers Crowley had <laughs> yeah it's amazing uh yeah never mind i was gonna go dirty with that but um <laughs> I feel. But, but in but... the modern world so aside from the oto like finding a magic order
0: because there is the an era of needing to be clandestine yeah like maybe that's so not the most right word of them but... are
1: pretty secret yeah. um you know, there's, there's, and that's, so there's like a, there's like uh, Wiccan, Wiccan Covens, sure. Covens, sorry, however you say that word, Covens, Coven. um, <laughs> but Wiccan Covens, uh, like, I don't actually know of any, I know that there are some in Portland, but I don't know any of any personally. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, that's tied to a specific religion. Um, the OTO is also tied to a specific religion. Um, you know, you can find like Golden Dawn groups if you want. Right. But even then you're going through, you know, it's sort of like a. A pretty regimented teaching right system and a very specific system and it works really well for a lot of people like a lot of people do that and are very satisfied uh personally i i kind of feel like a lot of magic stuff is meant to be solitary yeah yeah absolutely um, i would say you know if you can find a church that fits what you're doing you know there are a lot of alternative sure, sure. and underground churches and like you know liberal catholic churches and and stuff like that um yeah i guess what i was talking about cuz yeah absolutely i totally agree that it is a solitary venture yeah probably and but finding foremost, i think but... the community is important I mean, but yeah of, and i think it's one of the reasons i came to portland right is because portland is filled with weirdos <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> yeah
0: no us uh, it's a cliche for a reason. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and and I love that, right? Like, yeah. it's it, you can find people doing all sorts of stuff in Portland. But mm. um,
0: yeah, I mean, we up on up the street here have the Sekmet uh, oh, Temple, yeah. Yeah. which is maybe a, I a, think it is an OTO. Chapter. That's an OTO. Yeah, yeah I I,
1: I, uh, I gave a lecture there once. Oh, nice.
0: Yeah, yeah. I did a tarot thing there. Mm-hmm. But um, again, you know, when you find these things, it, it is kind of mired in a a certain.
1: It's always structure. if you if you're going to join a group, it's going to yeah. be centered around a particular paradigm or a particular practice, and which
0: is why you um, you know dispelling that my initial uh, you know assumption of the Masons mm-hmm. uh, as kind of not being that at all. I would have, or you know what I mean, not yeah. as much as I think. Most I wouldn't people.
1: really label Freemasonry as a as a magical or a cult group. Okay. Um, You know, I mean, again, it depends on the lodge. And so like my lodge, Esoterica Lodge, uh, I wouldn't necessarily label them as a magical or occult group, but it attracts a lot of those sorts of people. So a lot of the members of my lodge are parts of, you know, are practitioners of different, you know, magical systems Mm -hmm. or members of different orders or religious groups or, or things like that that are... Yeah. That are you know non-traditional or sometimes very esoteric or part of the Western mystery tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, one group that I think is pretty interesting and fairly well represented in Portland is the oh God, I'm gonna, uh, the Apostolic Joanite Church. Hmm. And they are a like I'm write es- that down. It's a branch of of um, esoteric Christianity, right? And they're pretty cool. There's a couple. There's a, I there's a there's a there's a good handful of them here apostolic what joanite Joelanite, joanite like j-o-h-a-n-n-i-t-e gotcha yeah um and they're a, they're a pretty good group um i think that they're worth checking out and worth exploring if uh if christianity doesn't you know rub you the wrong way
0: well i mean yeah god i mean it
1: i it, mean i it, might it did just as uh
0: you know yeah. as especially just being raised a little shit-kicking punk rocker <laughs> somewhat but <laughs> And, you know, I mean, it's just that mm-hmm. it's an authoritarianism
1: uh, thing, you know? Yeah, there's not a lot of authoritarianism there. Um, right.
0: So, I mean, but what I'm finding, too, is through all the practices, how much of it really is mired in, you know, the Christian,
1: you know. Christianity has been the dominant paradigm right. in our culture for, you know, 1500 years. Mm-hmm. So it's made its way into everything. Um, yeah. And I think that you know that's something that... Um, you know, I'm, I'm not Christian and mm-hmm. uh, just even like becoming a Mason and working through Freemasonry, having to come to terms with that because, so I, I grew up in rural Oregon. Right. And being not Christian in rural Oregon is, is an unpleasant experience. <laughs> <laughs> I know so, you know, yeah. so having to like, having to overcome like this, the, the amount of hostility and, um, and crap that was, thrown my way by so-called Christians while I was growing up was, was a, was a hurdle, you know I mean? That's oh, absolutely. Something you, you, you have yeah. to Why would of, you ever yeah. consider being a part of that? Yeah. Yeah. So you have to kind of like understand the difference between individuals, the, the people and, yeah. and the, the system itself. So, yeah, I don't know. You know so it
0: really came me, gave me a runaround Cause I, it's the same where I grew up in the, you know, the barrios of the Southwest with Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Um, And recently, I'm about to out myself here, but uh, I've been working with Santa Muerte. Oh, nice. And uh, well, not not so much recently. I guess it's been almost a year now. Mm -hmm. Um, Fantastic partner. Uh, Very, very excited about her. But she opened me up into this different facet of the kind of neglected or unrecognized, Mm -hmm. you know, Catholics, because she's not a uh, recognized saint yeah yeah. but you know she is for all intents and purposes a part of that whole Mm -hmm. you know universe and it just kind of opened up my eyes that it's not so dogmatic uh when you get down to the nitty-gritty it really is just kind of church yes you know not secular is
1: not the right word but like Sometimes it's community ladies. oriented. Yeah. Sometimes it's it's more open to like personal interpretation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I I know some other uh, Santa Muerte pra- uh, mm-hmm. practitioners or devotees or whatever, and um, and I've seen that before. Mm-hmm. And uh, and even then, you know, so that that's another that reminds me of like other options. You know, there's always um, uh, like initiatic style of religions such as Voodoo or Santeria, right? And uh, right. and then you know, I mean, but for me, you know. I really don't like anybody telling me what Word. to believe or do or I I rebel against dogma pretty strongly and Right. Um so for me I guess uh I just enjoy collecting interesting friends, and spending yeah. time around them and sometimes, you know, collaborating on ritual work or collaborating on stuff, but uh you know, and I I've, I've been a part of of groups that have um formed kind of like you know ad hoc magical lodges or Mm -hmm. or have you know adapted ritual to to sort of like lodge style magical workings or things like that but mostly i just go solitary i want to thank
0: again my guest eric l arneson hope to be uh, talking with him a bunch, especially through this medium of podcasting. Please listen to My Alchemical Romance wherever podcasts are listened to. You can also follow him on Twitter, of which he is very skilled at using, at Arnamancy. that's A-R-N-E-M-A-N-C-Y, and uh, his blog of the same name, Arnamancy.com. Thanks for everyone for hanging out during the silent month of June on this front. I utilized that month to complete a major personal um, artistic project in the form of my 10th musical release of original songs as Dakota Slim. It's it's called Cactus Crown, and it's my testament to love and magic. And uh, you can find it anywhere, streamable, where music is streamable, but... Personally, I would purchase it through Bandcamp at dakotaslim.bandcamp.com, where you'll receive all the art, the lyrics, liner notes, and in high-quality audio. It's meant to be listened in headphones. Absolutely. You should consider subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash we the hallowed. There you'll find full unedited interviews like this one with Eric records like the Dakota Slim record and others such as zines, audio sigils what have you I'll leave you now with a shameless plug from the new Dakota Slim record Cactus Crown which is called The Calico Ghost so haunt on haunt uh-huh.